Guess what, ghouls and goblins? The Spook Boys have officially joined Patreon. That's right, they the show as you know it will remain the same, ad-free, but our patrons will have exclusive access to bonus content. Interviews, franchise deep dives, even horror television. Wait, did you say television? You heard right, Sally. Becoming a patron means you're not only helping us keep the show running, but that it also remains available on all platforms, and again, ad-free. For more details, head on over to patreon.com, where you can become an official member of the Spoop Troop today. Jonathan, have you ever been laid on a waterbed? Are you kidding me, man? It's one of my favorite things to do. The most beautiful thing in the world, smoking pot and fucking on a waterbed at the same time. What? Hell yeah. What are you- that good old motion in the ocean. Oh, absolutely. Just gotta ride the waves, man. <laughs> We're supposed to be talking about a horror movie? What? What are you guys talking about? Oh, I just want my sex to look like one of those Japanese paintings. That wave off the coast. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we're going to talk about horror movies now. So, welcome to another episode of Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast hosted by my co-host, movie monster boy Aaron, and me, the craven coward Derek, in which we dissect the fears, phobias, and social relevancy of horror movies across all ages and subgenres, as well as discuss just how scary they are for horror newbies like me and horror junkies like Aaron alike. This week, we have a returning guest, known not fan of horror movies, Jonathan, which is perfect for our horror movie podcast. How are you, Jonathan? I'm doing well, and to be fair, I just don't like movies in general. It doesn't really have to do with horror. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Aaron, how are you doing, bud? Uh, You know, pretty good, I guess. World's on fire, but we'll see. How about yours? Go. Hey, no. Don't stop coming. Don't, don't stop, stop coming. coming. <laughs> Well, let's get right into it. We'll move right along to our uh, recommendation section in which we talk about other horror media we have gotten into lately. Um, We recommend it to each other, and hopefully you, our listeners, hear something that you may want to check out as well. Uh, We usually go guest first. Jonathan, I'm assuming you don't have anything, but I will ask you anyway. Okay, so, I mean, I've always had at least some tangentially related recommendations, right? Yeah. Okay, so when you think of horror, you think of being scared and uh i really like jpeg mafia and danny brown's new album scaring the hose volume one <laughs> i've really yeah. been enjoying the hell out of that album what an auto-tune man give a fuck about a trash because i love the scams catch up on me say in the brother bars because i love the brand say in the brother I mean, it has manic energy to it, so... It does have manic energy. Uh, Hoes do get scared. 
I know everybody in the horror community has been like losing their minds over uh, Skinamarink and the Outwaters and all these other newfound footage horror movies. Guess what? Their video for Scaring the Hose is way spookier in terms of found footage, weird pixelated nonsense. It's pretty great. It does start with the tribute <laughs> unforgivable. The unforgivable, yeah. She said, what, what you gonna have to eat? I was like, go up there and just give me a chicken sandwich with some waffle frost. Maybe a Coke to drink or something. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's that. Also, there was a band I started listening to this past week that I have been kind of enjoying. Their music sounds somewhat horror movie-ish. Uh, Neptunian Maximalism. Okay. I love that name. Yeah, Neptunian Maximalism. The album that I was listening to was called Eons, and the cover art for it is a real just, I don't know, um, psychedelic Japanese Oni kind of art style. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's rad as fuck. Yeah, their second track, N-G-A-N-G-A, Nana, we'll say that. The word is pronounced Nganga, which is the name of a spirit altar utilized by the various forms of Palo, an Afro-Cuban diaspora religion derived from the West African Yoruba people who were enslaved and brought to the Americas. No lyrics or anything. Imagine a jam band that just doesn't let up and just keeps getting heavier and heavier as it goes on with just these droning instrumentations and weird sax riffs going on. And yeah, it's really interesting. I like it. The Descent into Hell would sound like. Okay. I can tell just from like what people are writing about this. It's a mix of avant-garde jazz and drone metal. And those are like two things that I would never think to put together. I mean, but Boren under Club Agora has existed for a long time, and that's kind of along that line. Yeah, there's definitely a history of that weird combo. There's a lot of fucking acid jazz from the 90s that was kind of along those lines as well. I also had a buddy of mine that wanted me to start playing a video game with him. It's a survival horror game, multiplayer. And when I say survival, I don't mean like whatever bullshit Silent Hill <laughs> is. I mean, actually like surviving. You mean Minecraft? Yeah, it's zombie <laughs> Minecraft. It's zombie Minecraft. You start the game and you're on a beach and uh, there's this guy and there's like chopped up bodies everywhere. And then this three-legged woman runs out of the woods at you. Oh, is this the forest or Sons of the Forest? Yeah, Sons of the Forest. Yeah. Yeah, so this three-legged woman starts running out at you, and then I chopped at her for quite a while. Turns out you weren't supposed to kill her. Then ran into some, I don't know if they were zombies or just cannibals. You can make a skull chair. (laughs) So the idea, because the forest was a big hit when it came out, it kind of came out of nowhere as far as survival games go, but it is very horror because premises you like, 
plane crash onto an island. You're the only survivor. You're on this island with all these cannibals, but the cannibals are like mutated and fucked up. You're just basically kind of surviving and exploring the island. It has kind of this advanced AI, or at least it was advanced at the time, like where they would send scouting parties at you and like not attack you, but just watch from afar. Once you start getting attacked or you attack them, you can actually like I am legend style hack up their bodies and like pierce their heads on posts to like keep them away and scare them off so they don't attack you as much. Sure. Yeah. But you're also trying to build up your own arsenal and like live long enough so you can figure out what the fuck's going on in this island. And so Sons of the Forest is a continuation. It's the sequel to this game. I don't know if the forest was multiplayer. I never tried it myself, but I know Sons of the Forest right at a release it was multiplayer i think it's still technically in early access yeah it is yeah i ate a leg i chopped up one of the cannibals and i became a cannibal yeah you can do some wild shit in that game with their bodies and you're actually supposed to use their bodies to like you were saying jonathan to like help build your supplies but also to scare them off and like prove that you are the alpha kind of shit it's pretty yeah. crazy you can make a you can make a bowling chair and that was the biggest yep. problem i was having with the game like so i could figure out how to chop people up i could figure out how to eat them but I couldn't figure out how to get bones and put it into my inventory to build a bone chair. And that's really all I was trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> that is the one thing I don't like about survival games. I understand the need for challenge in video games, but when you don't explain fucking anything, or at least give me the option to change tutorial levels so I can at least get some explanation of what the fuck I should be doing, like that's kind of the turnoff for just straight up survival games for me. Or if it forces you to like use some kind of guide or reference like if you're constantly having to pull yourself out of the game to reference something else on how to do something or how to use something like that becomes tedious as fucking just not fun in my opinion i really love stardew valley stardew valley though that holds your hand enough and it's well made and, and slowly introduces you stuff yeah but if there has never been a game i have had to reference outside of the game more than whenever i was playing stardew valley well, yeah, you went fucking like, I'm going to somehow 100% Stardew Valley, which I didn't even know was possible. Yeah, I 100% <laughs> of the entire collection. I did it in a month. <laughs> yeah, you Jesus. were crazy about that game. But uh, yeah, Sons of the Forest is a good pick. The Forest was really well received when it dropped, and people are loving this one as well, it seems like. Yeah, but yeah, I think that's all I can think of for... Well, actually, now that I think about it, you know, there's this YouTube channel that I've been rewatching lately. Got a new girlfriend, and I got her into it. It's called uh, This Is Dan Bell, Another Dirty Room. <laughs> you did it. Good job. Proud of yourself. <laughs> well, that's it for your recommendations, I guess. Um, Aaron, well, what have you got for us this week? So, I dug a little bit deeper into the filmography of one Juan Piquer Simone, the director of the fucking movie that we're talking about today, Pieces. Oh, boy. I was only aware of fucking Slugs as far as his other movie. Like, I thought that was basically it. And uh, turns out, no, he made about a dozen movies. And uh, I checked out a couple more. So let's start with... 1983's classic Pod People, which is one of the best Mystery Science Theater episodes. It's a whole buffet. Uh, new potatoes. Mmm. Oh, little potatoes. You know, sooner or later, Mommy's gonna notice all this food disappearing. Then you'll have to kill her. These we'll put away for later. No, more. 
Now we can play. Like hell, more food. You know how to play, Trumpy? What do you know? Food, eating, the theater. You no, see, no, no. the pieces go together. Oh, if only this film were so lucky. You can do magic things. It's called Evil Kid. I have seen this movie probably a fucking dozen times. We watched Mr. Science Theater constantly growing up. I had no fucking clue this was the same director. <laughs> and partly because he goes under like a ton of different monikers. Like all these guys from Italy and Spain use five different names. And sometimes they'll use multiple names even in the same movie if they're like not able to take credit for producing or writing. They'll literally have pseudonyms for all those different positions. Wait. Is Extraterrestrial Visitors the same movie? That's Pod People, yes. Okay, so it tried to take advantage of the E.T. popularity. Absolutely, yeah. so it is absolutely a riff on E.T., but this is definitely like, what if E.T. but bad? <laughs> a fucking asteroid that hits Earth. It's just this random group of teens out in the woods, and then this family with a little boy, and these poachers. The poachers fucking find one of the aliens and it kills them. So there's like one grown alien that's murdering people. And then this little boy finds an egg and brings it home with all of his other pets. And it hatches and it grows into like a little boy alien. And it's just all the same shit from E.T. He's making his eyes glow and shit around the kid's room is spinning around. That might be the first time I've ever heard egg pronounced A-I-G. Oh yeah, eggs. Just <laughs> all I can think of period now at this point because we just recently watched john waters pink flamingos which i've seen that movie a bunch of times but heather that was like her first time seeing it so now anytime that one of us mentions eggs we just have to say like eggs eggs oh i can't wait for the egg man to get here it's 10 30 babs babs why isn't the egg man here i'm starving to death for some eggs please babs come in and give me some eggs 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 Eggs. Anyway, yeah, Pod People is absolutely riffing on E.T. It's exactly like all of his other movies, where it is a Spanish-American co-production. And these are all Spanish actors that are all being dubbed. It's ludicrous. The little boy alien is named Trumpy. So it's kind of funny going back and watching this uh. Mystery Science Theater <laughs> episode where... Even in what, I guess the late 80s, early 90s? I can't remember when that episode actually came out. They're like already fucking dunking on Donald Trump. At least in 2017, the alien got his own little stuffed animal, little Trumpy bear. Yeah, exactly. Which, yeah, now when you Google pod people, there's a ton of weird photoshopped images of Trump as this fucking goofy looking alien. And then when I say alien, this is a fucking weird, short, fuzzy alien with like a long nose snoot. It's the goofiest shit. Yeah, it's Alf. It kind of is Alf. It's like Alf, but if he were an anteater, basically. So yeah, I had no fucking clue that I had seen one of JPS's movies a ton of times growing up. The other one that I checked out is from 1990. It's called The Rift. It is available on Tubi for free. Where Deep Star 6 left off, Endless Descent begins. Venturing far beneath the sea. You're going to join a NATO rescue team to track down the Siren One. No one knows the Siren better than you. They are explorers. Stand by to dive. Better check this out, sir. On a daring mission. Swim? What the hell's happening? They were here, Captain. Take a look at the screen. What the hell happened to them? Damn. 
Looks like we missed some part. A mission that leads to an endless descent. Power drastically reduced. We're falling to an intervention before the rest. What's the depth? Over 45,000 feet, sir. Somebody better do something. Hold on, folks. 60 feet. Well, you like roller coasters. An endless descent into hell. The SOS signal is coming from directly ahead of you. From the abundant mutants, it is obvious that the machine is still producing. God forbid they reach the surface. Look at this. Captain, I think we've hit the mother load. The only way to be sure is destroy it ourselves. Damn thing looks almost human. Jack Scalia of Fear City in Dallas. They've been lying to us since the beginning. Stars with Full Metal Jacket Oscar nominee R. Lee Ermey. What the hell are you doing? Open up! I can't. Robocop's Ray Wise and Deborah Adair with special effects from the creators of Alien. Endless Descent. It will take you to the very depths of terror. This one is absolutely clearly a riff on both James Cameron's Aliens with a Dollar Sign and The Abyss. Just like with a lot of his other movies, he's taking... Actors who are maybe a little bit older, a little bit over the hill, a little bit past their prime, maybe former TV actors or just character actors. And he's getting one or two people who are kind of well-known and then just nothing but Spanish actors. So this one is Ray Wise from fucking Twin Peaks and a million other things and Arlie Ermey from Full Metal Jacket and a million other things. That's a name I have not heard in a while. Edmund Perdom, who played the Dean in Pieces, shows up in this one in like a cameo. Frank Branya, who plays Sergeant Holden in Pieces, the guy who looks like fucking Mike Pence and Charlton Heston had a fucking love child. He's in all of Simone's movies, apparently. But this is a like team of fucking science people and fucking military people all getting on this experimental sub to go to this deepest part of the ocean where there's like this crazy rift that's opened up and they're going to recover this other super experimental top secret bullshit sub. And they get down there and of course there's giant mutant plant life and animals and all this bullshit. And there's this bigger conspiracy of, Oh, the government knew about all this shit and they were down here experimenting with stuff, blah, 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 terrible special effects. Super, super goofy acting, goofy gore, goofy premise, but it is absolutely a riff on Aliens and the Abyss kind of put together. It's it's all the like underwater, high pressure submersible bullshit from the Abyss, but then it's, oh, we all have to like put on our fucking gear and go into the heart of this crazy alien nest and half the people get fucking wiped out in that moment. I'm really surprised that one of the characters didn't fucking scream like, you know, game over, man, game over. <laughs> and the last one that I managed to watch, this one I noticed Vinegar Syndrome put out in maybe the last year or two. It is called Cthulhu Mansion. I believe it is streaming right now on Shudder, and it's probably on Tubi as well. I know I was watching it on Shudder. Since the dawn of time, there has existed a cult that worshipped the great Cthulhu, a demon so powerful that it destroyed all that came in its path. Cthulhu lives on today, hiding in distant wastes, dark places, and close to home, hiding and waiting for the one that 
that will open the door and unleash Cthulhu on the world. Check it out! It's like the Monster Mansion! By crossing this threshold... This house holds great danger for all of us. We must leave! They have entered a world of shadow and substance. What the hell do you guys keep down there? Hocus Pocus shit. Controlled by the ancient spirit of Cthulhu. What's happening? A dog! Daddy, what have you done? I was haunted by her memory. I just had to reach her. Forgive me. You've opened the door. Evil is free. I don't believe in this shit! And you are doomed. Daddy! From the imagination of H.P. Lovecraft. Cthulhu Mansion. This one's from 1992. Frank Finlay plays this old magician guy named Nandu. And turns out, oh, he has the fucking Necronomicon, and he's actually been using it to do real dark magic shit. But like you do, in the 80s and early 90s, he gets accosted by this team of street punks. They kidnap him and, like, his daughter, and they all go back to his crazy spooky magic mansion. And then just nonsense ensues from there, and they all kind of get wiped out one by one. So, yeah, I mean, it's dumb fun as well, but... Kind of enjoyable going through like what the fuck else this guy has done. And like I mentioned earlier, Slugs, I know I've brought up on the show previously, Slugs is ludicrous. Yeah, you brought it up on one of the episodes that I was on, actually. I remember you talking about that one. Really? Okay. Yeah. That's some good coincidence then. So yeah, Pieces is obviously his most notorious movie, and it is by far the most absolutely buckwild, insane of his movies. These other ones have definitely been a lot more tame. I mean, they're just as poorly made (laughs) nonsense, but they just don't quite have the like slightly dangerous. What the fuck am I watching? Kind of edge that pieces has, but most of them you can catch for free. It looks like, you know, pretty much everything's on Tubi. So definitely check out some more of his stuff. If you enjoy pieces. So yeah, that's all I got. So actually, uh, I mean, not to get too into the movie before we actually start talking about the movie, but I guess the only other thing I can compare it to that I've seen, kind of like a Troll 2 vibe to it. A little bit, yes. Which I was actually just looking at that guy that made Troll 2 to see if he was like, I don't know, if they were brothers or something. (laughs) But it looks like he has a movie called Robo War that just looks like knockoff Robocop Rambo at the same time. What? Yes. We, we've talked about this guy briefly, right? He's one of the Italian filmmakers who did all the ripoff movies of yeah. American movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've mentioned all that stuff before. What, what's that called again? Mockbuster. He's like a Mockbuster guy. Jonathan and listeners, frankly, if you want to listen to us really go into the idea behind Mockbuster, go back and wa- uh, listen to our, I think it's our Zombie 2 episode. Probably. I think that's yeah. when we talked about a lot of this. But yeah. All right. I got a couple things. Real quick, just right off the bat, I'm only about halfway into it. I'm six seven hours in i'm playing the resident evil 4 remake i'm not going to talk about it right now because i want to wait till i beat it may do an in-depth discussion on it for a future patreon episode wink 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 there you go there's reason to check out the patreon yeah but i will say right up top if the game continues on the track that's going it somehow took an already masterpiece 10 out of 10 game and made it even better 
and I'll just leave it at that. I highly recommend it. Even if you're not a Resident Evil fan or a horror fan, it's just that well done of a video game. I fucking love it. Is it better than the Kirby remake that came out earlier this year? I didn't even know there was a Kirby remake that came out this year. Return to Dreamland DX? You want to talk about existential horror? You get into Kirby. Kirby lore is where the real existential eldritch horror comes in. Yeah, just Google Kirby Last Bosses and go through the list of Last Bosses in Kirby games, and they're all unknowable Cthulhu monster nightmares. Shouldn't the second thing I wanted to talk about was I recently saw Weird Al in concert and it was fucking amazing. He focused on playing his non parody songs like his original works, which honestly are all parodies of genres and specific artists anyway. And, you know, it's, it's Weird Al leading up to the concert. I wanted to be a little more familiar with his discography and like his non parody stuff. And I hadn't listened to him in depth beyond his parody stuff in a while. So I started listening to a lot of his non-parody stuff. And I'm glad I did because he played a lot of stuff I had been listening to leading up to it. One of my favorite songs now by him, and I've even added it to our Spotify playlist. So check that out. Is a song called Nature Trail to Hell that was on Weird Al in 3D, which came out back in 1984. played it live it was nuts and i wanted to talk a little bit specifically about the song but in general weird al i did not realize how dark a lot of his songs can get even though he's so matter of a fact goofy and just comical and even upbeat even in the dark songs he's just that upbeat nature to his delivery and his voice and everything but like he talks about suicide and murder and violence a fucking ton in his songs but uh for nature trail to hell it's almost comically on the nose critiquing again this song came out in 1984 so like he had his thumb on the pulse of pop culture back then he's basically clowning on slasher films all going into 3d because from 1981 to 83 you had parasite you had friday the 13th part 3 which was in 3d amityville 3d and these were all these successful 3d horror movies not only is he clowning on that but he's also clowning on Satanic Panic already at the time because there's a part in the song where you can actually play it backwards and it says Satan eats cheese whiz if you play it backwards. <laughs> it also like has a lyric in it where he basically states, oh, if you love watching the Channel 6 news every night, you're going to love this slasher movie. The song is ridiculous because it's about this fictional slasher movie like where a crazed amassed like, serial killer like murders the fuck out of cub scouts and limbs are flying in every scene and since it's in 3d they're coming at you and seeing it live was hilarious because they did that john carpenter like reddish orange background sure that song is very synth heavy and features more of the keyboard than anything it has no accordion in it i really liked that two of his other songs that he has played on this tour but he didn't play unfortunately the night that i saw him because he does change up his set list for like every single concert like a lot 
two other really dark songs that are also now on our Spotify playlist I wanted to touch on real fast is just good examples of Weird Al getting really fucked up and dark. There's a song called Good Old Days where it is set up as, oh, this folky ballad about, oh, I wish we could just return to the good old days. But as the lyrics unfold, it's basically a psychopath reminiscing about how he used to torture animals and he killed his neighbor and he set fire to a local grocery store and like murdered these people. Oh, sometimes I think back to when I was younger. Life was so much simpler then. Dad would be up at dawn, he'd be watering the lawn. Oh, maybe going fishing again. Oh, and mom would be fixing up something in the kitchen. Fresh biscuits or hot apple pie. And I'd spend all day long in the basement torturing rats with a hacksaw and pulling the wings off of flies. Those were the good old days. Those were the good old days. The years go by, but the memory stays. And those were the good old days. I listened to Bad Hair Day for, God, so many years when I was a kid. I'm having a lot of flashbacks now with you talking about this because I haven't listened to these in years. So yeah, if you're going to do like some Weird Al deep dives, the music's all solid. Like even his non-parody stuff is actually fun to listen to. Just get ready for some dark shit from time to time. And uh, if you get the chance to see him live, again, he didn't even play his parody shit and it was still 10 out of 10. Highly recommend seeing him live. Amazing shit. The last thing I want to mention, and it's funny that Jonathan brought up another dirty room. My last recommendation is not another dirty room. But it's something kind of along the lines. (sighs) Yeah. You've been fucking with me about like what this is this entire time saying I would hate it. So what is it? So I, on a random whim, decided to start watching Hoarders, the reality TV show on A&E. And the reason I'm bringing this up as a recommendation, because this is real life, nerve wracking, anxiety inducing shit all about Hoarders. And I watched the first four episodes of season 12, which aired last year. They're all on Hulu. You can actually watch full episodes on A&E.com or whatever their website is. So I went on to Google and I searched, what's the most disgusting, worst hoarders episode of all time? Everyone on Reddit and uh, online in general directed me to the episode called Shanna and Linda. And it is from season six, episode four. Uh, It aired back in 2012. And God bless the people at A&E because they knew... This is what people are looking for. They uploaded the whole episode on YouTube for free, and it's called Hoarder's Absolute Worst Horde in Show's History. At least they fucking own it, I guess. Yeah. The earlier format of the show, I guess, because, like, again, this is from 2012, like, several years ago, several seasons ago. They used to do two people at a time instead of just showcasing one and trying to help this one person out. The second person they show in this episode was bad because... She was basically hoarding because she thought it was the end times and she wanted to leave this hoard behind for basically everyone who was left behind and not sucked up to heaven. Oh, perfect. Yeah, she assumed, oh, when it happens, I'm going to heaven no matter what, but there's gonna be a lot of people here on Earth trying to survive demon hellfire, so I'll leave this hoard for them. What's the thinking there, for real? Because when you see people's hoarder houses, it's never prepper houses it's never like, oh no hers was here's not an entire room that is floor to ceiling just shelves of canned goods and like dry goods and that kind of thing like that's a hoard for the end times for the leftover people to have no hoarder shit is always animal shit newspapers 
fast food fucking leftover trash. Yeah. It's stuff like that that's literal garbage. It's not good. None of it's good. So like I said, the first three episodes I watched were more just they had stuff. Yeah, there was a little bit of mildew and mold, but nothing like too disgusting. It was just that they had stuff piled up from the ceiling to the floor, and it was starting to like collapse like avalanche, and they were running out of places to walk and all that. Shanna, the first one, this is where the real fucking nightmare of hoarders comes in. And I'm just going to forewarn you, if you don't want to hear about bodily fluids and real disgusting shit, fast forward a few minutes. This is your warning. This woman, and she was obviously like mentally not there. She was living in like just a trash house and she had bottles and bottles and gallons and gallons of piss of shit and piss. Okay, sure. Because we got to keep that. We we can't put that down the toilet. Well, and it was her mom's, apparently. Even still. And the toilet was backed up, so like they just piled all this shit on top of the toilet because they didn't want it to overflow. And she was shitting and pissing in one bucket, and when it get full, she'd take it outside and dump it in her front lawn. There were bottles of shit and piss in the front and back lawns, and she was eating like mold bread. You could take the worst hotel in another dirty room, and it would look like a goddamn five-star mansion compared to like what this hellhole was there was a hoarder specialist who came and stayed the night with her and like he didn't last the night i don't think and he basically said like do you realize the smell is literally shit and she's like no it's musty it just smells musty from all the mold and some dust he's like no that shit smell and like she just mentally was so not there she's like oh i never realized that he's like yeah you're not supposed to live with shit and piss everywhere, and you're not supposed to eat with shit in your bowl. Yeah, it just sounds like a sad look into mental health issues. Oh, no, that's where the episode went. They do some, like, in that reality TV show way, they sensationalize the horde. How do you sensationalize piles and mountains of shit and piss? Well, I don't think there's any way you can sensationalize that. Yeah, in this episode, no, because it was just fucking gross. Even the guy who is part of the show was like, I can't handle this. This is by far the most disgusting place I've ever walked into. And I've been doing hordes for years and years. But like, you know, the other episodes, like the episodes where it was more just stuff and less gross, they like would do the like first 20 minutes of the episodes of like showing the horde everywhere. It had that same reaction in me as I get when I watch another dirty room where like I'm weirdly anxious and excited. But like also this is a fucking nightmare to see that this actually happens to people. And then they spend the next 40 minutes of the episode getting the mental health care, cleaning up the horde, and getting them to let go of the horde and try and save the house. What happens to Shanna by the end of this is they basically say, you're moving in with your sister, and you're probably going to go into a further care-assisted home because you can't function on your own, and this house is condemned. We can't salvage this house. We can just remove everything. And they had bio people come. It wasn't just clean up trash people. It was people in full bio suits, like, It was a fucking nuclear waste going on. And they basically cleaned out, gutted the house. And they're like, sell as is. Otherwise, you can't fix this house. It more than likely needs to be bulldozed. Like, that's how disgusting that house was. And I don't know. I think there's just a weird anxiety because this is real life shit. Aaron, you joked about this with another day room. This is way more disgusting, way grosser, way more terrifying than anything you can see on a horror movie. That's the thing, like, all these people are suffering from some kind of trauma. Like I, I even brought this up with my therapist this week after watching these episodes because the show makes the argument that hoarding should be its own mental health classification. And it technically it isn't right now. They're still like looking at if it's something that should be separate, not just a symptom, but an actual like classification. 
like addiction to alcohol or gambling. But she did say that she doesn't work with hoarders, but she knows that a lot of people just use it as a symptom of severe anxiety, depression, PTSD, and almost every single one of these episodes, these people got like something happened to them that was super fucked up and tragic. And like the way they're coping with this is just continually shopping and buying, putting themselves into debt, and then just piling up piles and piles of just stuff. That was where like the horror really came for me. Not just seeing Shanna's house, but like seeing how these people like literally can't let go of the smallest shit when there's literal tons of shit they still need to go through to determine what they're going to sell, what they're going to donate, what they're going to actually throw out and what they're actually going to keep and like what actually matters to them. Yeah, my mom and dad's ashes matter to me, not this coat that I've never worn in 10 years, but I want that fucking coat and I want to stick with it. I don't know. I have a little bit of a collector addiction myself. At first, I was like, there's no way I could ever become like any of these people, right? But then I thought about it, and like, I don't know about that. If the right things happen in my life to make it take a sudden turn for the worse, especially if I was lonely, I could see this happening to me, and that's what was fucking terrifying to me. But it's also sure. like watching a train wreck. I can't look away, so I'm going to continue watching Hoarders. <laughs> yeah, I can't fucking do that one, just because y'all fucking give me a hard time about not another like nasty room or whatever it's called that's fucking gross but there's no victim in that show yeah yeah Yeah, that's just people going into the fucking hotel rooms and being like oh god this is fucked yeah it's kind of funny and entertaining in a horrifying way but i can't do shit like hoarders where there is somebody who clearly needs fucking help yeah and that's what i was not expecting it's not the gross shit. That's not what bothers me with that show. It's the exploitation of people with mental health issues. Yes. 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 For monetary gain. That is where I have a problem with it. That's where I can't watch that show. I'm watching Total Trash and I am not proud that I'm watching it, but like I am watching it. Like I'm fascinated and it's almost kind of holding up a weird mirror to myself. There was an episode where I like teared up by the end. You know, they do the reality TV show and you don't know how much of this is actually written out as a storyline or whatever but like there were moments where it was just when someone comes to terms with the death of a loved one and that's been the catalyst to like why this happened shit like that kind of triggered me in a way i wasn't expecting i was going into it full on like oh another dirty room let's do this shit and then i wasn't expecting like the whole mental health here's your family that you've stopped talking to for three years because of this horde they're finally here to like help you and you need help and like we're going to help you clean out your house and try and get mental health by the end and if they truly are doing it yes it fucking kind of sucks that it has to be through a reality show which it is sensationalized but if they are actually getting them help and cleaning out their house because they say at the end of that each episode they get them continued therapy and continued local dehoarding experts and everything but I don't know. And I, I was trying to like look up a little bit of the validity of these claims and I wasn't really finding much I don't know. It's I don't feel great. I'm fascinated by the show, but I am. It is a weird just kind of reminder of, no, these people aren't bad people at all. They're people who need help. And I kind of fucking hate that it's a reality show that's reminding me of that, but I can't turn away either. Okay, let's move on from this, shall we? Man, I thought Jonathan would be more excited to talk about horrors with me. Yeah, no, that one, I'm I'm really not into horrors. I'm kind of like Aaron on this. I mean, except that he doesn't like another dirty room because he's (laughs) a terrible person. But I have a real problem with the whole reality TV show aspect of 
exploiting somebody who's obviously having a mental health crisis yeah. or issue. Same way. I'm the same way. And making, making money off of it. They're not actually trying to help these people. They're just trying to make money. Now I feel terrible for liking hoarders. <laughs> What's unfortunate is that 80% of the fucking programming that's on TLC and a lot of what's on Discovery and A&E and all these places now, it's all that. It's all that type of content. When I was watching episodes, there were commercials for other A&E shows. It's all reality TV now. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. yeah. It's reality TV, but it's specifically the stuff that Jonathan and I were just mentioning that it is stuff that exploits people's mental health, people's body image issues, people's insecurity. Hell, it just exploits people for fundamentally who they are. I mean, how many little people, big world kind of shows are there, you know, and like those shows have their moments of, gee, didn't we learn something? But 90% of the time, it's just watch this little person struggle to do normal things. You know, like, I don't fucking feel good watching a show like that. You know, fuck off. I still stand by Baggage, though. Baggage was a great reality show. Oh, absolutely. Baggage <laughs> is fantastic. Baggage is different because Baggage, at least, is all being done in, like, good fun and everybody is along for the ride. And it was probably written. It's absolutely written. They had people that came back on multiple episodes. They're actors. But, I mean, it's funny watching somebody open a bag and be like, I like clown sex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I take my sex doll on dates. That was my favorite one. <laughs> that guy's face, too. Like, just yeah. that moment. Yeah. Baggage is different. I mean, A, like you said, we know it's fake. But also, everybody is kind of willing, consenting, going along and having a good time with it. Nobody on that show seems like they're being exploited, necessarily. Like it, it's, it's a different vibe entirely. Except for Jerry Springer. <laughs> yeah. Jerry Springer is, in fact, the one who's being exploited. I may or may not continue my shame watching, but... Yes, I agree with you guys. Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like shame you for it by any means. Oh, I shame, I I'm ashamed of myself. You don't need to shame me. I think the TV execs are garbage, terrible people, and they oh, deserve the guillotine. No arguments for me. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, I guess that's a good transition point into the movie that we're talking about. <laughs> Yay! Recommendations. <laughs> yeah, guillotines are great. Yeah, considering that this movie is also extremely exploitative in the most ridiculous fucking and surprising ways, which is part of why this movie is so fucking just off the wall, wild and entertaining because you just never know where the fuck this movie's going. Like you think, you know, because there is formulaic bullshit to this movie, but then you also just have absolutely no idea where this movie is ultimately going to end up. So yeah, we are, as we've mentioned, talking about the 1982 Spanish-slash-American co-production, Pieces, directed by Juan Piquer Simone, which is a slasher, giallo, kind of hybrid, not sure what the fuck it wants to be, about a series of murders on a Boston college campus targeting young women. And a mystery killer. So, Fun fact, actually, the director there is uh, the father of singer Carly Simone. Is this a joke you're trying to say since I brought that up earlier? Yeah, because you said Carly Simone instead of Carly Simon. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> Got him. Anyway, here's the trailer. Warning. What you will see in the movie Pieces cannot be revealed, cannot be described, cannot even be imagined. And you don't have to go to Texas for a chainsaw massacre. Pieces. It's exactly what you think it is. Pieces. Absolutely no one under 17 will be admitted. Guys, first question I have for you. Did you know that in New England, the coffee is fine and the cream is great too? Apparently so. <laughs> the dialogue in this movie... Fucking batshit. Some of the most batshit quotes. The best batshit a Spaniard trying to fucking figure out what Americans do. Apparently all we do is just fuck and murder each other. Not far off. This, not far yeah, off, not yeah. Not far off, unfortunately. This is, interestingly enough, a pretty wild coincidence, considering that we just recently covered Guillermo del Toro's Devil's Backbone, and we kind of had a discussion on post-Franco Spain, and how after Franco's death and the government reverting from complete fucking totalitarian authoritarian regime bullshit, there was this massive explosion in sexual liberation and women's rights and just general, like, people living their fucking lives, right? Lots of sex, tons of sex, sex everywhere, sex in all the media. There was a whole subsect of queer art that came around that time as well. I mean, there was just like a huge explosion in people being able to express themselves in ways that they weren't able to for all the decades that Franco was in power. And this movie is definitely that, but to the most sleazy exploitation degree possible. So it's interesting, like just looking at things on kind of the actual artsy fartsy capital I important end a few episodes ago and now talking about this piece of shit trash movie. <laughs> so I guess to kind of give y'all some background, this again was like a Spanish American co-production. The Spanish title is Milgritos TNA La Noche, where the night has a thousand screams. There was a treatment titled Jigsaw that was written by this exploitation director producer Dick Randall an Italian producer, Robert Loyola, who, again, we're talking about pseudonyms earlier, his pseudonym for this movie was Dick Shadow. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a pair of dicks on the production here. Yeah. That is a phenomenal name. Yeah. Dick Shadow, yeah. Randall chose Juan Picard Simone to write screenplay and direct. The screenplay was still so fucking short that they literally were improving dialogue and scenarios constantly, which is why this movie, like... Oh, it shows. It makes no fucking sense, right? <laughs> yeah. This was a video nasty in the UK. I fucking bet it was. It is yeah. one of the movies that was banned under that act. What is video nasty exactly? Good question. So for people who don't necessarily know that term, we have discussed it on a few previous episodes. I can't remember which ones exactly, but there was a huge censorship act in the UK during the 80s. Just thanks, Margaret Thatcher. Movies especially were all being kind of run through this new censorship board, right? And they gave things classifications, and there were a large chunk of movies that just got banned because they had either 
things that were like religiously offensive or there was too much violence or there was too much sex or all of the above. And those movies were dubbed video nasties and they were pulled from every video rental store. They were banned from being distributed, exhibited, etc. in the UK. And little by little, pretty much all those movies have kind of regained regular classification and been officially rated and re-released in the UK since. And honestly, it gives them now especially more of a cult status. I mean, it gave them a cult status then, too, because you know yeah. the first thing people are going to want to do when they're denied something and it's given video nasty status is you're going to want to search it out and see why. Yeah, I mean, it's just the same dumb shit as all these book bands that all these right-wing idiots are trying to do now, unironically. What's the first thing that young kids are going to want to do. They're going to want to be like, hey, what the fuck is this book, The Giver? Why is this being banned? What the fuck is a book? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Depending on the state, yeah. They're going to like look for Catcher in the Rye, read it, and be like, why was this banned? This book's fucking boring. Holden sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Holden sucks. So anyway, yeah, this was one of the video nasties, right? So it gained that classification in the UK. Looking up fucking Dick Randall, this motherfucker produced literally every type of exploitation movie you can think of. He did mondo travelogues, he did sex comedies, cannibal exploitation, hick exploitation, kung fu, Bruce exploitation specifically, westerns, black exploitation, women's prison movies, animal attack movies, superhero shit. Bond exploitation. He specifically did one of the Wing Wing World's Shortest Man Bond movies, Christmas slasher shit, kaiju movies, regular slasher movies, and alien movies. Dude did fucking everything that you can imagine. So many genre movies. Yeah. So, like, perfect fucking producer to make this wild piece of shit. They shot the movie over four weeks. In Valencia, Spain. Oh, not in Boston? Surprise. <laughs> Turns out, not in Boston at all. I have joked about this movie in the past because there's this weird thing going on where, again, this is a Spaniard who is writing and directing and visually showing what he thinks America is. These are Americans. This is how they talk. These are the things that they're into. This is what an American dorm room looks like. This is what an American campus looks like. But if to that point, and th this is kind of bringing up one of the points I wanted to make, it feels like he's doing it based off of just the slasher movies that were like popular before this one came out. It's 100% based That's on... That's his only context. I know America. Yeah. I've seen movies before. I've seen Friday this the 13th. This is what this shit looks like. Yeah. This is what they want. This is who they are. Like, that's what it felt like is he just filtered it through like the slasher craze that was going on right now. Well, not just that. There's like these goofy fucking details. Like, why does Kindle just have Coke cans like Coca-Cola cans just hanging from his ceiling? <laughs> we talk about that a lot. Right? When, like Ford movies are supposed to be uh, in America. Oh, this is America. Yeah. Here's Coke cans. Exactly. It's just this weird shit. Like again, not very far off. <laughs> yeah. Again, depending on the state. Yeah. But yeah, there's just all these weird non sequitur bullshit kind of things in there that make this movie Really weirdly special. I love that Wendy's is featured so prominently yeah. toward the end of this movie. <laughs> I, I did notice that. Man, that yellow Wendy's, it brought me back. That's when Wendy's was the best. Yeah. 
just sitting there fucking dipping french fries and nuggets into uh, Frosties and eating those weird little square patties. Yep. Rest in peace, side salad. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, really. I liked their side salad more than their fries. So, like, Jonathan, we got you on because we like showing you oddity movies and you not being a horror movie fan, but appreciating wild swings and schlock. This felt like a good pick for you to have you on. And and frankly, we haven't had you on in a while. We wanted to have a guest because we've had a couple movies now where it's just been me and Aaron. And peek behind the curtain, listeners, we were thinking about doing pieces eventually as a commentary track. Now that we have the Patreon, making it probably a Patreon exclusive. But since we got you on, Jonathan, we gave you a couple odd movies, and this is the one all three of us sort of agreed on. With you not being a horror slasher fan necessarily, but again, appreciating schlock, what was your reaction to this movie? Was it scary at all to you in any way? Just kind of like, what are your first thoughts? I feel like if I lived in a world in which anybody thought that this movie was actually scary, I'd be really confused. <laughs> no, I did not find it scary. I mean, it was entertaining. It made no sense. Uh, there were a lot of things in the movie that really caught my eye. So, like, compare it to Blood Rage, because we also have shown you Blood Rage. Yeah, yeah. Blood Rage feels competent compared to this movie, right? And Blood Rage is its own fucking mess. Yeah, it does. But at the same time, and... Maybe I didn't appreciate this one as much as Blood Rage. I feel like this movie having no direction and no story made it feel more like there were individual moments and scenes that were like, yeah, this is fucking dumb. This is bad shit. I like this. But overall, the lack of cohesion, even if it was a cohesion that made no goddamn sense, the lack of any kind of cohesion kind of threw it off some for me. I mean, there were things that really did make me laugh. There were some real over-the-top moments in the movie. Really dumb fucking one-liners. The dialogue legitimately made me laugh, but I think part of the reason why it made me laugh is I still argue the movie thinks it's serious. I don't think it's as self-aware as people like make it out to be. Oh, it's absolutely yeah. not. This movie is 100% trying to be a legit actual horror movie, for sure. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it unironically like hilarious, because that's not what it's intending to do. It's almost like when Tommy Wiseau showed The Room, he thought it was going to be like this hyper-emotional, tragic film, and people treat it like it's a it's a comedy movie. That's kind of, I think, what Pieces was like, oh, this is going to reinvent the slasher genre and make it dark as fuck and everything. It's so, like you said, lack of cohesiveness, irrationally stupid that it, it's kind of funny, it seems. Yeah. I will say, kind of also to one of your points, Jonathan, is I don't think this movie's scary at all either, personally. I do think there's an argument for like some of the violence towards women in this movie to be kind of shocking because it is fucking gory and bodies are getting ripped apart and they are showing full like nudity, like chopped up bodies. And I think that could be unsettling to certain people like this movie is very uh, mean spirited towards women, especially young women in that very hyper exploitative way. But it also has that 80s slasher goofiness to it as well. It's like a blood splatter movie kind of thing, but it still is gory and violent towards women, which could be like a little uh, unsettling for certain viewers, I would say. But otherwise, yeah, it's a fucking like weird puzzle box of a movie that has no solution. (laughs) Literally puzzle shit. No, it's just like every decision that was made throughout this entire movie made no sense. Just from a character standpoint. We're the cops. We're trying to find this killer. We're going to get our secretary to play tennis to help find him. (laughs) (laughs) Go undercover. Yeah. One of the guys that's a suspect, we're going to get him to work for us. 
Yeah, we trust them 100% now all of a sudden. Yeah. I mean, honestly, at the beginning of the movie, I thought whenever they first showed the first person getting chopped up, they're like, maybe I missed something in between the scenes, but I thought they just actually showed groundskeeper Willard chopping the woman up and says, okay, it's solved. There we go. (laughs) So I mentioned the term earlier, Jonathan, giallo. There is some giallo in this, yeah. For sure, yeah. There was a whole kind of sub-genre in Italy called giallo movies. And that's giallo is Italian for yellow. Long story short, there were like all these crime thriller, sleazy exploitation kind of pulpy paperbacks that were very popular. And they were all printed on like shitty yellow paper, right? So movies that were very similar in tone, like all these murder thrillers with lots of sex and violence and everything. Those movies were called giallo movies, and they all had very similar themes. They had very elaborate, over-the-top death sequences, and there was always some mystery about who the killer was in a very Scooby-Doo kind of way. They basically rub shoulders with horror. Most of them are horror movies as well, or at least argument is there for it. Sure, they lean more thriller in a lot of cases, but they can definitely tip more into slasher horror. But there's lots of dumb things like, you never see who the killer is. They're always like masked or they you just see like their black gloved hands with a weapon. Like it's a lot of that kind of shit. There's always a ton of red herrings, which in this movie's case, there's like seven red herrings as to who <laughs> the fucking killer could be. And some are like completely fucking obvious. I mean, I, I literally wrote in my notes as I was watching the movie, Professor Red, Red Herring. <laughs> oh yeah, this is our landscaper, Mr. Vermilion Tuna. So just the amount of wannabe fake outs in this movie and you know the entire fucking time. No, it's not this character. It's not this character. It's trying to be clever, right? Like it's trying to build this mystery and use an audience member like no the entire time like this. No, this shit's not working (laughs) again. That's what's so fucking funny to me is this movie thinks it's so clever. It is not at all like it is missing 100% of the shots it's taking. The fact that it keeps doing it, though, and it keeps trying to, like, chug along that way. That's what is what's fun fucking about it, hilarious right? to me. Yeah, it's schlock. It's grade A schlock, but it's just so nonsensical. Oh, yeah. Now, you know how you were talking about the uh, black glove all masked up? You know, they're trying to hide who it is. This movie did the perfect job of showing a killer as, I guess, the way I describe it, They look exactly like what I imagined a burglar was going to look like and dress like based on neighborhood watch signs whenever I was a kid. Yes. Yeah. They always have the fucking trench coat with the popped up collar and then like the big pointy hat. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was looking out for whenever I was a kid. Yeah. I thought they would look like that because of those damn signs. You are always looking for someone who literally looks like the shadow. Yeah. (laughs) Or Inspector Gadget. Yeah. Dick shadow. (laughs) And so to that point, kind of going back towards, it feels like the director and and writer uh, of this movie, well, specifically the director, borrowing a ton of other tropes that were, had already been established in the genre. Like the idea that this killer is basically killing everybody, even like when it doesn't make any sense for him to do it this way with a chainsaw. Like it really feels yeah. like he's just riffing off Texas Chainsaw Massacre and its popularity in the genre and what it did. It 100% is. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all there is to it. He's using a chainsaw at the pool? Like what? Like, oh, that pool scene was fantastic, though. It was funny. Yeah. It was really <laughs> funny because almost everybody in this movie that is killed has an easy way out and they don't take it. 
they just kind of stand there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My favorite thing was watching this woman getting fished out of this pool like a fucking guppy at PetSmart when she could have just dove down a little bit. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, just swim back out into the middle of the pool, because then at that point, what's the killer going to do? Jump in the pool? Well, he certainly can't jump in the pool with that fucking chainsaw. Yeah. Just swim to the middle of the pool and scream. Well, and here's where I want to make this tie to Blood Diner. And I forget the director's name. Oh, my God. What's her name? Jackie Kong. Jackie Kong. I feel like she watched this movie and realized, oh, this movie is lacking its own self-awareness, even though it almost feels self-aware. But it's taking itself seriously and, and therefore like it kind of fails as a movie and it's just mean spirited towards women in that exploitative way. I'm going to take that idea, but actually spoof and riff on the genre. And that's how Blood Diner came to be because also and I'm going to spoil pieces right here. The big thing, the big thing this killer is doing is he's constantly stealing a body part from a woman. Well, he's trying to reconstruct his mom in this puzzle. His mommy murdered, by the way, at the beginning of the movie as a little boy. He's taking what he thinks will match what his mom looked like and basically build a corpse together, Frankenstein monster from all these different pieces. Yeah. And as he puts together the puzzle of the naked lady piece by piece, that's the next part that he has to go and take from a victim. Yeah. And that's what happens in Blood Diner. <laughs> basically, yeah. So, like, I feel like Jackie Kong saw this movie as a, okay, there's a nugget of an idea here, but the thing that failed about this movie is it took itself so seriously and lacked any self-awareness and was nonsensical. I'm going to make my movie a giant parody, hyper-exploitative, and like take it to the next step and make it fully self-aware the entire time. For me, there was a weird connection to Blood Diner for this. Again, listeners, go check out our episode on Blood Diner with the Bruce Campbell podcast and Animorphin Time podcast guys. That We had a blast. It's a great episode. But yeah, I just wanted to kind of get that out there too. Like I, got, I drew that weird comparison. Yeah, and this movie definitely has that Super weird, fucking awkward. Everybody fucking tried their hardest, and this is still what they came up with because it is so earnest and so batshit. I mean, that's why this movie is entertaining and ridiculous. And it this is a hell of a movie to see with a crowd, apparently. It is a cold classic. I have not been lucky enough to like see this somewhere that it was actually playing in a movie theater. But I have heard that this is one that brings fucking crowds out because it's just so ridiculous to see in a group. I can see that for sure. Yeah. This is a movie we would have watched in college and probably had like a house full of people. Anytime I've searched for lists of best obscure slasher movies, this is always on those lists. Yeah. And like we mentioned, this is kind of a weird in-between moment where there's a lot of slasher, but there's a lot of giallo in this as well, too. And so those two competing things... There's like a weird tonal thematic trope mashup that's happening where it's not fish or fowl, but I think just the like fly by seat of the pants nature and improv nature to this movie. I mean, the fact that they like shot this over just four weeks is kind of wild. They shot it in Spain, like I mentioned, which is why there's like such a weird fucking uncanniness to like, you know, this is not America. The Boston TM. Yeah. There were some exteriors shot in Boston, but most of those scenes were even reused from another of his earlier films. And then they did like another week on the effects, which, by the way, the tennis player that gets sawed in half, that was a pig carcass that they used. 
and real animal organs and blood, which, as we've discussed on a couple of different movies, boy, oh boy, that was probably a fun time and probably smelled wonderful to hang out on that set. I was going to ask you if they had used carcasses because like they they get real bloody and meaty in this movie. Yeah. Also, to that point between that and like how male gazy this movie is. Oh, yeah. Jonathan, you joked in text uh, before we recorded 50 percent of this movie is just an excuse for women to get topless. Like, it feels like this movie should have been the prime example. Like, you know, talk about how I brought up that Weird Al song that spoofs on 80 slashers and how, like, fucked up and bloody they can be. Like, this feels like the movie you would spoof. And, like, also kind of the movie that I think parents in the 80s who were trying to say that horror movies were ruining America, like, this would have been, like, a prime example for them to use. This was a prime example. because <laughs> yeah, exactly. it totally like, this, is. This is exactly the movie that they were railing against. This is where you have that argument because, like, semi-naked women are getting, like, butchered left and right throughout this movie. And like you said, not just that it's violence toward women, it's not just that it's exploitative in a sexual way, like, there's just a fucking mean-spiritedness to it as well. Like, the tennis player's death is just especially gross and sketchy. I don't ever in any movie, it doesn't matter what the context is, I don't like people pissing themselves in fear. Yeah, that was like an extra touch that like made it feel like this feels fucked up. You can show me the most fucking extreme hardcore gore. I don't like the idea of, We're literally showing someone in such abject fear that they are, like, literally pissing themselves. And allegedly, it actually happened, which is why they, like, have it in the movie, which I don't know, because that said, like, who the fuck was shooting a close-up of this girl's crotch? Okay, wait, that said, the girl who played the tennis player, by the way, again, talk about this all just being, like, weird and sketchy. Her name is Letitia Marfil. She was the daughter of the wardrobe head. Her mother, again, the head of wardrobe, was like, yo, director, she wants to be an actress. So she went, she auditioned, and the director was like, cool, I have the best scene for you. And he cast her in this role. Woof. The day that they were supposed to film her scenes, the director was like, yo, by the way, let's film a shower scene. Why not? It would make sense. Uh, wait, did we agree to this beforehand? I'm guessing they didn't get her permission to show the piss scene either if they actually did shoot that happening. Again, I think that's just some building bullshit legend about this movie. Maybe. I don't know yeah. that that actually happened. Because again, I doubt they had like an extra camera that was set up specifically to capture that. I don't know. There were a lot of tit and ass shots in this movie. So, But yeah, they like spent half of a whole fucking shooting day shooting her shower scene, supposedly. Mm-hmm. Sure, it took you that long. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. He also requested that she be topless during her death scene, which apparently they took another two days to film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she like got out of acting entirely after this, apparently. So Surprise, surprise. So the other slightly kind of the sketchy element of this movie let's say and you keep seeing a pattern right and it makes me question the character of simone a little bit right but during the dance class scene he wanted that to be completely nude and like threw this in at the last minute casually speaking of blood diner where the nude aerobics scene uh-huh from that so but at least in that movie it's very tongue-in-cheek yeah, it's, and it, funny it's a parody yeah not the director literally asking at the last minute cool so everybody get naked and everybody's like wait what the dance instructor 
turns out is an IRL aerobics instructor. And uh, she was the first that was just flatly like, uh, no, not getting naked, not doing this. What are you talking about? We don't do fucking dance classes and aerobics and shit naked. Are you kidding me? I mean, the movie still bends over backwards to make it male gazy as fuck anyway. Oh, sure. Including right? her specifically. Yeah. The sleazier element of this is supposedly there were still a handful of the actresses there who said that they would do it naked if push came to shove. And Simone made absolutely sure to get their names and contact information so that he could call them up for later movies where he needed nudity. Oh, God. So, cool. Binders full of women. God damn, what a fucker. And uh, supposedly, he used his own hands as the killer's hands. So anytime that you see the killer, like, picking up a weapon or putting together the fucking puzzle while wearing gloves, why the fuck would you put together... A puzzle wearing giant black rubber kitchen gloves. I love all those dumb close-ups where it's showing him putting the puzzle together and he's just like fucking mashing those pieces. <laughs> he's got no dexterity with his fingertips. But like, come on, guy. That's the most bullshit. Hitchcock is known for being the hands of the killer in his movies so many times, right? That's just like a weird thing he had. Because his psychology was also fucked. But I don't buy that that's an original thing for Simone. That's just, I'm ripping off Hitchcock. Well, I don't know either, though, because then it could be like a weird fucking fetish thing for him of butchering naked women. Oh, I don't put it past him that he got fucking turned on by it. What I'm saying is I think he thought he he's was being, being clever Hitchcock, and artistic yeah. by doing it. Yeah. And really, he's just ripping off Hitchcock, who is a better known director, obviously, who was known for also doing the same yeah. thing. But yeah, ultimately, there was a Spanish version of this movie that had a entirely different score by Labrado Pastor. And the international version, which is undoubtedly what we all watched, used library music. And we have discussed library music before, specifically last summer during our Romero series where we did the zombie movies of his. Specifically, some of the library music was Fabio Frizzi, who was known for kind of being Fulci's dude. He did Zombie, which we discussed last summer, and all the Gates of Hell movies. And then Stelvio Cipriani, who did Bay of Blood and Tentacles, which is a rad as fuck score, Nightmare City, and again, going back to James Cameron, Piranha 2 The Spawning. So the version that we watched is all library music, some of which is Frizzy and Cipriani. That version is what most people have seen, but the Spanish version is available if you like actually buy this physically. 
Grindhouse releasing has it out in the US and Arrow has it in the UK and the, they both have the like Spanish version of the movie, but there's no differences otherwise. Now, is there a difference between that and the Spanish version that's on Tubi? I don't know. I did not know that there was a Spanish version on Tubi. So when I searched pieces on Tubi, there was two side by side and one was English and one was Spanish. Let's find out because I am on Tubi right now. Yes, it looks like the Spanish version is actually on Tubi. So there you go, listeners. You can actually check out whichever version of this movie that you so choose. Yeah, good catch, Jonathan. Now, I will say the off-brand Funky Town that was playing during the Jazzercise scene. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a break. I had closed captioning on because my hearing's terrible. The lyrics for that song, at one point, the closed captioning, just like in the middle of the lyrics, just put mumbling. <laughs> so I am glad you bring this up because I, same thing, I had closed captioning on because same thing as you, Jonathan. I have to read my sounds now and then anyways when I'm watching movies. There's another part in this movie that makes no goddamn sense. Where it's the uh, young girl who is rollerblading and she crashes into the pane of glass. When it, the scene transitions into that one, it says something like dark, ominous music. What's actually playing is that upbeat, weird 80s library music. So maybe in the Spanish version, it is more foreboding music. But like yeah. the closed captioning did not match at all like what was actually happening on screen. Now, that title screen music, that music kind of fucks, actually. It sounded like a marimba falling down the stairs. Yeah, it was pretty. Yeah. Speaking of Derek, that scene where the rollerblader smashes into the mirrored glass does absolutely make sense. She smashes into the mirror, just like the young boy's mother smashed and shattered his mirror. <sighs> the dean saw that uh, happen, yeah. and that's what caused him to snap. That was his moment of blood rage yep. and caused him to uh, start murdering people, dot, dot, dot. Although, again, we never actually see these pieces come together. No. <laughs> right? Could have used a flashback at the very end of the movie showing him reflecting on that scene, because otherwise it is just absolutely fucking out of context by the way jonathan if you want to listen to some legitimately good shit look up some of like the giallo soundtracks that fabio frizzi and goblin and uh those kind of people you know goblin yeah, right? yeah i know i know goblin yeah their film scores you don't even need to like know what the hell is happening in the film just listening to it as like horror synth or like proggy synth it's legitimately good. During college, Noeki and I definitely like got into Italo disco kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. You and I listened to a lot of yeah. that. Yeah, no, I, I fuck with that stuff. Yeah. Although the best disco in the world right now is being made in Norway, just in case you didn't know that. Yes, I have heard this. Disco is making a weird fucking comeback there for some reason. So, like I mentioned, there are two different versions of this movie. The movie premiered in Spain in 82 and in the US in 83 movie had a $300,000 budget, and it went on to gross dot, dot, dot. Who knows? I hadn't seen any <laughs> official numbers, but... Uh, on Wikipedia, it said $2 million in the U.S. I mean, so. it makes sense, I guess. The movie was a hit, either way. The movie was like a huge... Everybody went out to see it as kind of a fucking joke. Good time, get drunk, go watch this stupid piece of shit movie. 
And that's still how people tend to watch this movie is just get real loaded and have a bunch of people over and basically just watch this nonsense and clown on it the whole time. Well, and it, speaking of like watching train wrecks, I know I said that earlier during recommendations, but like this especially because it is this weird juggling act of giallo splatter and exploitation all at the same time. Yes, and we've been clowning on this movie. It is a piece of shit movie. And I, I have an appreciation for horror schlock. I still had fun. I was still entertained watching this movie. Oh, certainly. Yeah, I yeah, can yeah, yeah. recognize it's not a good movie, but it's still entertaining. And I would way rather watch, and we talk about this every time, something that swings for the fences. And even if it strikes out, I'd much prefer something wild and incompetent as opposed to something that is competently made, but just boring. It's also rare, too, that anything exploitation really actually crosses over into what is considered to be film art just the fact of the matter is anything exploitation was made with quick turnaround and profit in mind that's it it's literally just what can we fucking put out there that people want to see it's gonna turn a quick buck it's an ass and murder exactly (laughs) so it's rare that anything in that vein really does fully cross over But I think what's interesting is there are strains of genius in all of it to varying degrees. And frankly, I personally think it's kind of necessary if you're a fan of movies. It is kind of necessary to watch movies like this from time to time in order to like fully appreciate the ones that do it right. If all you eat is the finest fucking food from the best chefs in the fucking world. Are you really able to fully appreciate that if you don't eat some fucking Vienna sausages? What do we just talk about the fucking little jugs, colored sugar water juice? And I do fuck with some Vienna sausages, though. Yeah, me too. So, like, <laughs> and, and that's the thing. Like, I trust an opinion on anything way more when they consume all of the thing. And what I mean by that is for you, Aaron, with movies, you can watch this movie and be entertained, and you also watch like the most artistic. Fellini, whatever his name is, <laughs> hashtag cinema movies, and like you appreciate both. Those are the opinions of people I want to hear. I don't want to hear the opinion of, I mean, we clown on Roger Ebert, but that's part of the reason why I, I don't go back and even read Ebert reviews because he just was so dismissive towards horror movies. And like horror movies are now 90% of what I watch and I think are valid art forums. I just think it's very nose up in the air to do that, to completely dismiss just whole sections and subgenres of an art form. And yeah, like cuisine, I can eat and enjoy a meal at a nice restaurant. And sometimes I just got to eat some fucking McDonald's at 11 at night when I haven't cooked anything and haven't eaten. Dude, I had Popeye's last night. I still hate myself for it. (laughs) But it was delicious. But it was delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Tying it back to Weird Al, if you've never eaten a Twinkie Wiener sandwich, have you really lived? (laughs) True. (laughs) Fucking true. If you've never drank from the fire hose. Ultimately, as far as the legacy of this movie goes, Simone tried to get a sequel off the ground after the movie ended up being a big success, despite the movie, right? <laughs> I mean, the last scene, I guess, does leave it open on a cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't even talked about the last scene yet. Jeffrey Arsenault, who wrote and directed this pretty interesting, kind of offbeat vampire movie called Night Owl, was approached to write it, and supposedly there is a treatment and a script from the late 80s, that exists. And nobody has found it for sure, dot, dot, dot. So yeah, it is it is interesting because during this time, like you mentioned, 
This was the time of franchises. Everything was getting a fucking franchise. Everything was trying to be a franchise starter. And this movie seems to just kind of be its own self-contained weird little oddity. You know, again, I can't imagine where this fucking movie would go in terms of being a sequel. I kind of wish it had a sequel now if it followed the way it ended. I kind of wish it had a sequel. <laughs> it followed the way it ended and what? All of a sudden, a corpse becomes animated yeah, again yes. and fucking tears Kendall's nuts off? Yes. Yeah. What's I'm saying? So what? <laughs> is it going to be just Kendall? No. No nuts. He's dead. Just going around trying to get his revenge? No, he's fucking dead. No, pieces two, shadows of dick. And <laughs> she's just going around just ripping everybody's dicks off. Yeah. Actually, yeah, that would be a great sequel. Yeah, exactly. Just to make little, like, I don't know, like, he was making Jigsaw Puzzle Woman. She just takes them and makes little like I don't know little octopuses out of them or something. <laughs> she doesn't know another being like herself, so she makes a lover out of men's dicks, I guess. Or, but like it would be an interesting. Oh, pieces was male gazy, violent towards women. Let's flip the script. Now we have this walking Frankenstein corpse murdering all these men. You could follow like the professor, who was one of the more interesting characters actually in this movie, and. I kind of was hoping was more of a main character, but he kind of disappears from the movie for most of it. No, they just threw him in for just random homophobic jokes. Yep. Yeah, ultimately, that's all it ends up fucking being. Because right? like when they were introducing him and stuff, and granted, it is dated and problematic. They were kind of putting him up for a couple scenes. As, this is the guy we're going to be following. I was like, holy shit, that's fascinating to me if he's going to be the main character of the slasher movie. But then he isn't. And then all it is is homophobic yeah, no. jokes and... Didn't age well. <laughs> Thinking about this for a hot second, the sequel I want is a cross-country girls road trip. Fuck yeah. Of just murder. Starring the pieces puzzle girl, <laughs> Sheetar, who we know is out and running around LA right now looking for men to devour. Yeah. And Frankenhooker. I want just all three of them together in one movie. So then we have a shared universe way before the MCU. Exactly. Of just women put together through various pieces of other women. And uh, they are just going across the country getting their revenge. Yeah, that would be, be fucking awesome. That would be great. And Lizzo. Yes, and, and Lizzo. Lizzo is just Lizzo. also there on the hood of the car twerking and playing her flute. Yes. <laughs> fuck yes. I am all about this movie. You know she would murder the fuck out of somebody with the flute, just shoving in one of their eyes or something. And then as they drive away, she's just like, bye, bitch. And then she's like playing the flute. Their blood is splurting out of the, the holes. <laughs> <laughs> this summer, hit the road. With three ladies who will leave you in stitches. Hop in and take a ride with a cannibal goddess. Hey, baby. What do they call you? They call me Sheetar. A Frankenhooker. Want a date? Going out? Looking for some action? A ball-busting puzzle princess. And hip hop superstar Lizzo. Bye, bitch. <laughs> As they discover love, friendship, and twerking. Featuring guest appearances from The Human Doll from May, The Bride of Reanimator, and Jeff Fahey's Arm from Body Parts. 
Touchstone Pictures presents Route 60 Stitch. Because again, I, I thought the professor like could have been such an interesting character to follow, and it's a shame they didn't follow him because he was pretty much the only character I gave any shit about in this movie. You keep saying that, but like Jack Taylor, the anatomy professor character. Yeah, that guy. That's the guy that you were like, "This is my guy in this movie." I well, not from like what we were given, but I thought it would have been fascinating to follow him trying to like solve the mystery of this killer, like using anatomy, and he's you know this character that everyone okay, is shitting gotcha, on gotcha, gotcha. and thinks is the killer because he in their minds he's a deviant when he's just a human being just trying to get by like anyone else just watch bones yeah, yeah just watch bones yeah i figured the character that you would be absolutely rooting for would be the fucking big dick nerd kindle no who has uh-uh. complete Derek in college energy. <laughs> no, I maybe that's why I didn't like Kendall's because it was like a weird reminder of me and I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the times that Derek would just casually hang dong when we were all hanging out. Yep. I, I did like uh, I did like Groundskeeper <laughs> Willard. <laughs> yes. Which I would like to see him replaced by Groundskeeper Willie. Willie, yeah. Yes. Groundskeeper Willie might actually be kind of a joke on this character. I wouldn't be shocked if that's sort of where he came from i did think about it as i was re-watching it this time as well and i was like man if we do end up ever going to a horror convention for anything i am 100 percent going to cosplay as willard the groundskeeper because all i have to have is just denim on denim <laughs> and a fucking like fake chainsaw so like kind of on that line of the anatomy professor and pretty much the movie just Puts him up as maybe he's a suspect. Here's a couple homophobic jokes, and then he disappears from the movie. Jonathan, you brought this up again in text to us. What in the fuck was that scene with the Kung Fu professor? <laughs> what happened here? Well, he jumped me. There he is. <laughs> oh, hey, it's my Kung Fu professor. What's the story, child? Oh, I am out jogging, and next thing I know, I am on ground. <laughs> Something I eat. <laughs> Bad chop suey. So long. Take it easy. Yeah, they're just like random racism they just dropped in there. Yeah, that was super fucking racist. Like, so what? here's the explanation. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. So that's Bruce Lee. I Just the silence No, here. it's not. Thunderous. I don't believe you. <laughs> that's Bruce Lee. The Bruce Lee. No. Okay. I didn't say that. Okay. That's Bruce Lee. Okay, I get it. So it's like the Tim and Eric. It's it's Johnny Depp. John Depp. I'm John Depp, and you're watching Celebrity Zillions. Exactly. So holy shit, this guy is Bruce Lee with one e. It's Bruce Lee with one e. It is just L E. He was one of the many, many, many Bruce Lee lookalike wannabe ripoff exploitation stars, and he was in. A ton of Bruce Lee knockoff movies after Bruce Lee's death. Oh, shit. I, I pulled him up. You know how you brought up Bruce Ploitation earlier? Exactly. He was a star in Bruce Ploitation movies. So that is why he is in this movie, because literally at the same time in Rome, the same producer of this movie was shooting one of his Bruce Lee knockoff movies. He happened to be visiting in Spain, and they literally just dropped him into the movie that day for a throwaway cameo, 
as a weird, oh yeah, by the way, exploitation star Bruce Lee is in this movie to do Kung Fu, and that's it. It literally makes no sense. They fucking made it up on the fly and dropped him in because he happens to be in a movie with the producer of this. And he attacks an innocent woman. Tries to For no beat goddamn him. reason. And then is just like, oh, I'm so sorry. I ate bad chop suey. Goodbye. And that's it. And he's out of the movie forever. He tries to beat the shit out of her, though. So Bruce Lee, again, Ellie, star of The True Game of Death, Way of the Dragon 2, Enter the Game of Death, Re-Enter the Dragon, (laughs) Enter Another Dragon, (laughs) Challenge of the Tiger, and my favorite, The Clones of Bruce Lee, which took all the Bruce Lee wannabe (laughs) actors and put all them together in one movie, all playing clones of Bruce Lee. Have Have you seen that movie? Yes. So there's Bruce Lee that we're talking about from this movie, Ellie. There is Bruce Lay. There is Bruce Ty, there is Chuck Lee, and there is Dragon Lee. They are all fucking in this together. And I would not be surprised if that fucking boy from that show that y'all watch, uh, Rock Lee, is also like some kind of fucking joke off this as well. He's absolutely based off of Bruce Lee, yeah. So yeah, that's why that's in the movie. This weird, non-sequitur, nonsense scene of very weird, casual 70s racism. It's totally because this guy was making a movie with the same producer and just happened to like stop by and they were like, fuck it, throw him in and we'll just have a Kung Fu scene in this. But how many other horror movies or any movie can you say, oh, it just jumps to a fucking Kung Fu moment and then like is done 20 seconds later. It's such a fucking weird thing. I do want to back this up for just a second. Just so the listeners here don't get the wrong idea about me. Don't want me in with these fucking Naruto nerds. <laughs> um, That's what the show that is. Okay. But here's like, here's the thing. I would argue that it would be a Kung Fu scene if there was a Kung Fu fight. No, it's literally just Mary, right? He just jumps out of the bush and just basically punch slaps this woman and then falls to the ground. She kicks him in the nuts. Yeah, like Mary's just walking along campus in the middle of the night. And this fucker just jumps out and assaults her, basically. That's the scene. There's no kung fu. It's just a man who knows kung fu attacking an innocent woman at night. Yeah. So while we're kind of on that subject, like I mentioned, most the rest of the cast were all very much known like for exploitation movies. And in an interesting way, a lot of the cast were Americans who did a lot of movies in other countries. Were the victims or more background characters, were they more Spanish? They were Spanish. Yeah, they were Spanish actors. And actors. Actresses, yeah. But like Jack Taylor, the guy that plays Professor Brown, he's in like Cleopatra, but then he apparently picked up sticks and just moved to Mexico. He is American, but he just moved to Mexico and then was in a shit ton of Mexican exploitation and horror movies he's in a lot of jess franco stuff he's in a lot of paul nashy stuff and then he's in weird things like he's in conan the barbarian and he's in iguana and edge of the axe 1492 conquest of paradise which is a fucking really scott movie he's in the ninth gate which i fucking mentioned a while yeah. back he's in goya's ghosts which we literally mentioned on the del toro episode so like he's been in a lot of odd shit frank Branya who played Sergeant Holden, he was in all of JPS's movies. He's in a lot of Spanish biblical epics. 
because again, Spain's topography, there were a ton of Westerns shot in Spain. There were a ton of biblical epics shot in Spain because it can kind of double as the American West or the Middle East. Was he ever in anything major? Because it felt like he was maybe at one point a high profile actor who like this is towards the end of his career and he's now doing this exploitation movie. Yes. So again, he's in a lot of Spanish biblical epics. And he's in a shit ton of westerns. He's in the Blind Dead horror movies. He's in the Santo movies, which uh, he's a fucking lucha wrestler. As far as westerns go, he's in the Django movies, the Sartana movies, and he's in the Man With No Name trilogy movies, including your fucking favorite, Good, Bad, and the Ugly. Who is he in that? He's just one of the fucking background bounty hunter assholes in all three Mm. of those movies. He's in all three as different characters. So yeah, he's been in some actual major movies. You just wouldn't necessarily know because he wasn't one of the stars. Gotcha. Paul L. Smith, who plays groundskeeper Willard that we were talking about a second ago. Again, dude is from Massachusetts, but he's in a shit ton of Israeli movies. That's what he did for years. He's also in Midnight Express. He was in Robert Altman's weird Popeye movie. He's in fucking David Lynch's Dune as the Beast Raban, who is now played by Batista. He's in Sam Raimi's Crime Wave, which is a fucking weirdo Looney Tunes slapsticky movie that he did after Evil Dead. Jackie Chan's The Protector. He's in Red Sonja. He's in Haunted Honeymoon. He's in Gore. He's in a fucking weird as shit Western crime comedy called Sunny Boy, where David Carradine is basically like in drag for the whole movie. The criminal family is this guy, Paul L. Smith, Brad Dorif. And like David Carradine and Drag, and it's just all them taking care of a baby. It's fucking ridiculous. Paul L. Smith definitely had henchman vibes as far as. Oh, totally, totally. And that's basically all he ever played. Yeah. He's the muscle. Yeah. Edmund Perdom, who played the Dean Foley, he's in like a lot of historical epics. He's in The Fifth Chord, which is actually a really good Giallo movie. Beyond the Door, Concord Affair 79, which was directed by Ruggiero Diodato, who did Kind of a Holocaust that we talked about, Absurd, Ator the Fighting Eagle, Don't Open Till Christmas, and then he's in The Rift that I mentioned during recommendations. The guy that plays Kindle, Ian Sarah, he is basically only in a few of Simone's other movies. That's it. And It was weird seeing him in pod people this time because it was like, holy shit, I've literally seen this dude since I was a child watching Mystery Science Theater. It stinks. And then years later, I'm seeing his full dick and balls in pieces. Sure, whatever. Yeah, I will say as much TNA as this movie is showing, it did hang dong. (laughs) It's at least equal opportunity a little bit. You do see his full ass and dick and balls in this movie, so at least it's relatively fair in that regard. But then that gets us to, like, the actual marquee stars of this movie as much as they can be marquee stars. So Christopher George, who played Lieutenant Bracken, and Linda Day George, who played Mary. And those two are the top bill, by the way, in anything I see. Yes. They were, like, the most well-known people in this cast. They were huge TV stars. They were married for a very long time. Christopher George was on a show called The Rat Patrol, which was like a World War II kind of show. But then he was in like big westerns like El Dorado and Chisholm. 
midway. He's in a lot of exploitation shit. He's in Grizzly. If you ever want to see Christopher George, this fucking human cigarette of a man, firing a shoulder-launched rocket at a grizzly bear and exploding it. You can totally see that in the movie Grizzly. He's also in Day of the Animals, Whiskey Mountain, The Exterminator, Fulci's City of the Living Dead, which just hit my doorstep, the new 4K of that. I haven't watched it yet. Graduation Day and Mortuary. He met Linda Day on The Gentle Rain way early in both of their careers. She was on basically all of the original Mission Impossible TV show. And then from there, they were in just a lot of movies together, like this one. They kind of came as a weird package. So like they were in Chisholm together and Day of the Animals, Mortuary. So they were just kind of this oddball pair that often came together and they were married. As married couples are apt to do. I was making a sex joke. (laughs) (laughs) Other weird fucking tidbits about this movie. So the Dean, huh? He just keeps this fucking box of murder evidence just casually in the top drawer of this cabinet in his living room, huh? How did he get this bloody evidence, his mom's shoes and dress and this fucking puzzle all covered in her literal DNA? Who knows? But he has all of that shit still and he just keeps it casually where anybody can walk in and find it. (laughs) A dude acts nervous in every scene he's in and is trying to actively delay the investigation. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) constantly. The fucking Chekhov's giant glass mirror pane, which I mentioned earlier. Waterbed fucking. Why does a school need a fucking waterbed in their, like, fucking tennis workout area? I don't know. Whatever. Post-tennis fucking. Like, like that's part of the ritual. (laughs) Waterbeds were totally one of those things that everybody was fucking lied to about it. Like, yeah, it's totally going to make your posture better. Mm, you sure about that, Chief? It's totally going to make fucking better. Mm, you sure about that, Chief? They don't use the term love and tennis for no reason. There's waterbeds in all of those locker rooms. <laughs> Absolutely, that is one of the aspects of, oh no, you just wanted to fucking stab somebody to death on a waterbed to see the waterbed pop and them also being stabbed. Sure, guy. Uh-huh. I assume they just filled the waterbed with the red water. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, yeah. you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> no one questioned the boy who apparently gifted the anatomy professor a 16-year-old girl's skull, right? There was like that weird throwaway moment where he was like, detectives, look at this. I have a skull. A student gave it to me. It's from a 16-year-old girl. How did he get it? (laughs) There's that throwaway line where what's-his-face, the detective says like, oh, let's talk to that boy. And I thought they like were hinting that it was Randall that gave it to him. Maybe. Yeah. But again, this is like the weird. Wait, you mean, you mean Kendall? Kendall. Well, no, because he said like he got it years and years and years ago. I teach comparative anatomy to be used in anthropology and related subjects. <laughs> it was a present from one of the students. God knows where he got it. It's a skull of a girl about 16. I'd like to see that kid. Uh, what's his name? No, well, it was years ago, back in the 60s. You mean it might be one of the boys? Who knows at this stage? We're just out buying clothes without labels and trying them on for size. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he you're did. right. He, he said it. He said it was years ago. Yeah, he was like he got it like forty years ago. And I was like, maybe, maybe it was the dean who gave it to him as a fucking. No, maybe. It then, that begs the question: How old is this professor in relation to the fucking dean? Dean, yeah. If the dean was like a student of his at one yeah. point, sure. again, just another like moment of this movie not making fucking sense. Yeah. Um, you said Randall on accident when you yeah Kendall, Kendall. Yeah. But I immediately thought of his goofy fucking sidekick with the bad posture and like the red hair and glasses randall kid that's a fucking randall if i've ever seen one well it makes me think of randall from recess as well (laughs) (laughs) apparently all these boston girls love just wearing like fucking cowboy boots and usa t-shirts i did notice pool girl taking off those cowboy boots for like three fucking minutes of this movie i do like kendall's high heels that he was wearing later in the movie too yeah, I made a note of that. Kendall is totally wearing fucking four-inch Tom Cruise heels. <laughs> I didn't notice that one. Uh, that fucking baby blue knit sweater of his. So cute. And then they were hinting that he and the secretary slash tennis instructor were going to start getting romantically involved. So they were supposed to have a sex scene, and Linda Day George was just like, <laughs> no, <Yeah. laughs> not happening. And they just didn't film it. I love that. The bathroom for the dance studio is apparently on the same floor as the dungeon in the barbarian house. (laughs) Just that woman fucking endlessly was just like going downstairs, going downstairs, going downstairs. Like she's nine stories below the fucking surface of the earth to find the bathroom for this place. That was the worst played match of tennis I think I've ever seen for people to act like it was professional. Oh, it was terrible, man. <laughs> like, they were just playing Pong. Yeah. Yeah. Would it surprise you that neither of them know how to play tennis or had ever played tennis in their life? So I, I used to play tennis through high school. In the first shot of that scene, I'm pretty sure one of them hits the ball out, but they continue playing and, and like it's like a volley blatantly hits it out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's all fucking editing in that moment. They like actually hired a real tennis coach to come and work with them for the day. But like, Jesus, fuck. Why bother to write up this whole conceit about her being a tennis star? And that's her undercover credentials for coming onto campus. Anything else? Literally just be like, she's a new history professor. And you never have to fucking touch. Th- she's a new student. Yeah. She's coming back to education later in life. Right. There's like so many other weird fucking things that you could have come up with. for yeah. that. It did not involve them playing a sport that neither of them knew how to play. Yeah. Well, they couldn't have put the waterbed in there if they didn't have the tennis. I guess they could have maybe been like, oh, yeah, we're doing physical therapy. You could have put it there. I don't know. Well, we've already established that tennis players fuck on waterbeds after matches. <laughs> this is a known fact now at this point. Apparently so. Yeah. In this movie, you Universe. Yeah, yeah, called real life. Tennis players fuck on waterbeds after matches. So, without her being a tennis player, then the waterbed scene couldn't have happened. We wouldn't have had the line about fucking on waterbeds. The movie would have been ruined. Yeah. So, I guess the tennis yep. is probably the most important part of the movie. That's it. This movie is actually about the sport of tennis. It's an uplifting tale of overcoming the greatest odds to become a tennis star and not dying at Chainsaw Murder College. Remember the titans. <laughs> well, it makes that student that she plays against story arc even more tragic. She faces this new professor who I guess isn't a tennis player at all anyway. She's a secretary. Gets her ass kicked and they both are terrible at tennis. Then she goes and showers and gets murdered. That's her whole story arc in this entire movie. I have basically, yeah. But I'm assuming she got a scholarship or something for playing tennis. If you're playing on the collegiate level, like you have skill to play in that competitive nature. 
but I think there are 12 year olds who practice tennis who could have easily beaten her in a match. I mean, yeah, probably so. I'm sorry. I'm getting I'm getting hung up on stupid details, but this movie is pretty stupid. So this movie's all stupid details, and that's what's fun about it. I mean, like her story arc is just as complex as the fucking reporter that shows up wanting to know what's going on on this campus, who then just aimlessly wanders around the campus that a killer is wandering around at night. Just cool. Born victim. There you go. Well, and again, going back, the killer pretty much kills, I think, everyone except for maybe one victim with a fucking chainsaw. And he's not being subtle about it. Again, a chainsaw no, is loud as screaming. fuck. But I love, too, the scene in the elevator where he just casually was hiding ch- this fucking chainsaw, chainsaw behind, like, him. behind yeah. his coat, and she just didn't see it at all. Yeah, no big and deal. This, this chainsaw is big. It's a fucking sword of a chainsaw. What was that part of the movie where she looks in, uh, there's somebody looks into the closet and the chainsaw is just like sitting there, and then she just doesn't acknowledge uh-huh. it, walks off, and the guy's standing there with a knife, and then starts chasing her with a knife. Yeah, that's the reporter when she's just aimlessly wandering around. She does open a door, sees the chainsaw sitting there, and then it cuts to the other side of the door, and you see the killer is also just standing casually right behind the door, (laughs) breathing hard. She has no reaction to it whatsoever. No. Great, great investigative skills there, reporter. Yeah. If you haven't picked apart the pieces, get it, pieces, of this movie we've talked about, the Dean turns out to be the killer. He's the little boy in the beginning who killed his own mom and is now trying to make a puzzle of his mom out of dead bodies of women he's killing and then yeah he gets caught killed kendall in the last scene is with the detective and the puzzle woman had fallen out of the closet when they were searching for evidence and landed on him and then the lead up nothing the movie ends with the puzzle woman coming to life grabbing his testicles and crushing them and then cut to credits yeah because why not it's the most what the fuck ending of nearly any movie that I've ever seen. There are only a few movies that have ended just as fucking insane, and this one certainly is on that Mount Rushmore. Yeah, we joked about like the sequel following The Frankenstein Woman, but that's why. Yeah, now the, <laughs> the sequel, honestly, would be the fact that the Dean apparently, at the first of every month, goes to Arlington, which is where we fucking live now, and does Lord knows what. So that's the sequel is just another movie with the Dean, like committing fucking weird murders. Here. He survived a gun, he's, he's gunshot wound, survived the gunshot wound straight to the head. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. It's a prequel. It's just all the times that he was going down to Arlington and doing who knows what. Speaking of, I love when Kendall and the police find the girl in the elevator. They totally have the like, oh, new guy's puking his guts out over there. <laughs> <laughs> Here comes a meat wagon. And the medic gets out and says, oh, my God. New guy's in the corner puking his guts out. <laughs> Honestly, that is one of the more grisly scenes, though, when they show her dead body in the elevator. Oh, yeah. Whatever neurotoxin she was given there at the end of the movie, whatever paralytic that she could still walk if she was holding on to Kendall. That made no sense. Yeah, I love that he is also just fucking cartwheeling her body around. 
Being like, oh, there you go. You're walking before you even know it. Oh, good job. <laughs> sure, whatever. Just flinging her around. And why did the D just murder her like he did every other woman in this movie at that point? Yeah, exactly. Just sneak in and be like, here's your tea. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, I love the police just deputizing a fucking random student. <laughs> Who was a suspect again, by the way. Yeah. And fucking again, human cigarette, Christopher George just being like, use the entire department's budget while like literally all the fucking suspects are standing right there like the movie clue could have literally just put all those motherfuckers in handcuffs and been like cool it's one of you let's figure this out well and didn't he like basically leave him and someone else to do the like legwork of looking into like the dean's name change well yeah he just sent the other cop away to go dig through fucking records of dot 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 stuff It's just, here's all the paperwork ever about all the faculty of this college. Just look through all this, I guess. See if you find any clues. Like, what the fuck? Good police work. Good use of your time. (laughs) Good job, guys. Fucking cops are goddamn idiots. The most believable thing about this movie is the cops are fucking morons. (laughs) Exactly, right? The big smoking gun. Oh, shit. He's the kid whose mom was mysteriously murdered, even though the kid had blood all over him. Like, blood rage stupidity at the beginning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this movie very much opens like blood rage, (laughs) for sure. The fucking sex scene with Kendall that gets interrupted by him hearing screaming. What exactly was he doing to that woman, do you think? Because she was definitely fucking screaming and uh, not in like a way that seemed pleasurable. Like, what the hell was he doing to this woman (laughs) before the movie cuts in? Even more disconcerting was her saying, like, I'll let you gag me. Yeah, (laughs) really. It's got that good Steve Gutenberg energy. I love that fucking Willard has one outfit to the entire movie. Dude only owns denim, just nothing but denim. (laughs) What's the most I came from the Texas Chainsaw family Sawyer clan outfit I can find? Okay, I'll wear that the entire time. (laughs) Yeah. Again, going back to the cops being just fucking insane. I love the moment later where like, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm in over my head. I've got Wendy's and I've got all this fucking paperwork. And the other cops are just like, fuck it, man. Do some uppers. <laughs> fuck the rules. I know, Lieutenant, I know. But I'm doing the best I can. If I go too fast, I might miss something. You just got to give me more time. We don't have any more time. Take some uppers or something. Just get me a lead. Anything. <laughs> uh-huh. Sure. Good job. Oh, sounds, man. sounds neat. That part was Great. <laughs> I also love, too, that the campus of this college is just fucking empty. Like, they must have shot this during, like, a break or something like that. There's a scene where, like, Linda Day's character and the professor guy meet each other, and there's literally the sound effects of empty wind blowing just like... In the background, the campus is just that fucking empty and devoid of students. Professor! Professor Brown! Do you mind if I walk with you for a ways? I'm a little nervous after what's happened. In broad daylight here in the middle of the campus, I don't think there's much to worry about. Well, again, another comparison to Blood Rage. Where the fuck is anybody in this giant space? Exactly, yeah. We basically (laughs) see, like, the handful of victim students. There's, like, three people in the library. And then there's that one couple that's just full-blown fucking on the front lawn. And that's it. There's all the students. Again, weird, this is what America's like, right? Question mark. I love that there's fucking portraits of Ronnie 
everywhere. Just everywhere you go, there's fucking old Jelly himself, Ron Reagan, in every corner of every fucking room. Sure, okay, that's exactly what it's like. I actually somehow did not notice that. I didn't notice that either, yeah. Again, it's one of those weird things, like maybe it was more common back then to just have pictures of the president at every fucking building in every room, but that to me reads as Oh, you grew up in Spain during the Franco regime, where you probably had photos of dictator-in-chief literally fucking everywhere, you know? It's kind of like you see all these weird photos from North Korea where they just have pictures of Kim Jong-un and Il, like, all over the place. So yeah, like, totally, just portraits of old fucking Jelly Reagan himself everywhere. Juxtaposed to all these women getting murdered by a chainsaw. (laughs) Yeah. At what point... Was the Dean, Board of Trustees, Board of Finance. You know what I really need in my private living quarters on this campus? An industrial fucking grade walk-in freezer for reasons, dot, dot, dot. Right? He had a fucking restaurant grade walk-in freezer just casually in his little living apartment. Wasn't it hidden too? No, the weird fucking Scooby-Doo bookcase where the body flips around the inside. Yeah, like that was another weird trick. Again, who installed that in his office on campus, right? Who was like, you know what this office needs? A fucking trick bookcase. I'll tell you what. Counterpoint, would you be all that surprised if you found out Martha Saunders had all that shit? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For listeners who have no idea who that is, she was the president of the college that we went to, and uh, she needlessly spent tons of fucking money on just the most inane dumb bullshit instead of you know the betterment of the campus uh so yeah this movie like you said is just full of weird details but it's those weird details that make this movie kind of what it is and just feed into the absurdity you know the moment of this movie that has always lingered in pop culture is just Linda Day screaming bastard over and over and over more and more hysterically just at the fucking sky with her fists clenched while we were out here fumbling with that music the lousy bastard was in there killing her bastard bastard I remember seeing that just out of context on the internet years, fucking years before I ever actually saw this movie. So there's just like weird moments like that that live on. And I guess to kind of wrap things up, if like we're really going to try to pull something out of this movie as far as (laughs) what is actually scary, because this movie's not scary. Like we've all said, this movie's not scary. The one thing that I could think of that let's talk about some real life scary shit. And that is just how fucking common, unfortunately, it is that crimes on campuses committed by and against students gets covered up all the time. Fucking murders, assaults, sexual assaults, all kinds of just heinous shit that happens on school campuses, college campuses specifically, and just gets fucking covered up. In this entire movie, how many fucking students are murdered, right? In addition to, like, this fucking reporter who wandered into the story. I mean, granted, Dean turns out to be the killer, but the Dean the entire time is like, oh, I don't want this 
to get out to the parents. I don't want this to get out to... Yeah, keep all this quiet. We don't want to upset the students. We don't want this getting out. We don't want reporters finding out about this. We don't want the other students to find out about this. Your other students who are actively, imminently in danger, Mm -hmm. literally every female on campus is a potential victim, and yet you're choosing not to warn them about this very real danger. And obviously, we know he specifically is pulling all these strings because he's the killer, but nobody else in the faculty was like, oh, by the way, keep this hush-hush, but there's fucked up shit happening, right? (laughs) As far as I know, the only other faculty is this one anatomy professor and then this tennis instructor who's not actually a tennis instructor. He just dropped in, yeah. But think about all the shit with Jim Jordan just pasting over all the shit that happened at Ohio State and just all the shit that you hear about. All the shit that happened with Penn State back with Sandusky. Yeah. Sexual assaults down in Florida State. Yeah, just money and power and access just pastes over that shit and makes it go away. You know, eventually something comes out and it turns out, oh God, there's this giant fucking web of conspiracy and blackmail and just everything else that went into this whole thing. But that's very real. That's a thing that happens. That's a thing that we know just in our lifetimes that we have been conscious in the last couple of years. There's been so many fucking instances of this nonsense happening. And this movie 100% is doing that same exact thing. Like, students are being literally fucking murdered, and powers that be at this school are actively covering all that shit up because they, like, don't want to make a bad face on the school. Fuck all that. Yeah, well, and my last point I'll make is I don't think the movie is actively and consciously doing that. Oh, no, no. I think it's just... Not at all. Yeah, it made a slasher movie. (laughs) That's what I was saying. Like, if I'm trying to find anything (laughs) that I can actually, like, legitimately pull out of this, I'm grasping at straws. I think this movie stumbled into that because it just happens to take place on a college campus. The students are the victims, and it tried to, like, be clever by making the dean the killer. But I don't think when they were making this movie, they actually like, let's make this the commentary we're going to go after. Yeah. I love that the Dean was able to hide from the cops by just playing hide and seek behind the fucking curtains in the living room. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And they were just like, cool, Kendall, can you just deal with her? We're, we'll be right back. And they just leave. Uh-huh. They don't bother to search the place. They don't bother to like literally look behind the curtains in the same room. They literally could have just looked over that direction and seen his fucking feet sticking out from behind the fucking curtains, right? Not to mention she was just kind of kept pointing her eyes over in that way, like, hey, ding-dongs, like, fucking look behind the curtains, Uh his feet are sticking out. (laughs) Yeah. He's probably just sitting there going, tee-hee, you can't find me. Yeah. Well, how many times have we talked about police just, you know, oh, there's a killer on the loose, do a roadblock. Oh, we're looking for a black man, six foot three with the glasses? Cool. This is a white man covered in blood. Couldn't be him. And then five minutes later, oops, wait, it was a white guy covered in blood? Shit. Yeah, that happens so fucking often. Almost every major serial killer in America, there's a point during their spree that they are they get caught. caught dead to rights and they yeah. just talk their way out of it or just whatever. God, the most, I, I could, I'm not up to date on my serial killer lore because I don't really follow all of that. But was it Dahmer that had like the 16 or 17 year old kid that ran away and he was yep. 14. Yeah. 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 Screaming in the street and the cops didn't want to deal with it because they were queer. They were like, oh, that's icky. We don't want to deal with this. Here's your boyfriend back. Yeah. We've brought that up on the podcast. It's before, fucking like, it's terrible. a like 14 year old boy in his fucking underwear with a hole drilled in his head and he's stumbling around the fucking street in a daze the police show up because they get a call 
and they're trying to figure out what's going on. This kid's non-responsive. Jeffrey Dahmer comes down and it's just like, oh, that's my uh, my boyfriend. And they're immediately just like, take that shit upstairs. Don't want to get into this, whatever. Gross, ooh. They literally joked about, we need to get hosed down when we get back to the station. Like, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, terrible shit. And this kid died. He literally like went upstairs and killed this kid. So yeah, just like we joked about, things that are realistic in this movie. The cops are just fucking arrogant, pompous assholes, yeah. Who don't actually solve a goddamn thing at the end. They literally just shoot somebody dead and that's it. Fun. Could have stopped all this beforehand, but you know, we were too busy eating Wendy's and fucking hitting up the tennis coach. I do like Lieutenant Frank Bracken's like, way to go, kid, towards Kendall the entire movie when Kendall is not at all earned this and is, again... A suspect. Yeah, yeah exactly. Kendall solved the murder. He did wind up solving yeah. the murder, actually, which is the sad part. God damn it. <laughs> All right. Cool. I had a blast with this piece of crap. Oh, yeah, yeah. This movie is highly entertaining, despite it being just mean-spirited. Absolute trash. Incompetent. You know, you know, at the beginning, I was talking about it, and I was uh, you know, a little down on it. But in retrospect, after we've sat here and talked about it, yeah, this was a dumb piece of shit. And I'd probably watch it again. <laughs> and again, I will yeah. say, this movie really genuinely gets funnier the more times that you watch it the insanity of it just gobsmacks you harder every time you go back and watch the movie because not only are you like oh shit i forgot about this stupid detail but you're also just genuinely flabbergasted with holy fuck how did they get away with this how did they fucking put this in this movie who okayed this who thought this was a good idea i might have to watch this again this weekend with the girlfriend and uh Rewatch this with somebody else. And again, you were saying this budget was only like 700K. It made over 2 million. No, it was 300K. And it made yeah, over so 200 movie... million in the US alone. So it was successful. Two, two, no, two, not 200 two million. million. <laughs> two, two million. million. Two million. Yeah, Back two million. Back I meant up. two yeah. million. Yeah. But still, yeah, two million is a lot. This movie made money, right? It was a hit. And it has been like a weird cult classic since then you know it, it it is one of those i mean it works for people staple horror fucking weird movies right it's like one of these weird oddities i saw people like writing analysis articles on this movie like when i was looking stuff up about it i mean i don't necessarily think that is earned or necessary yeah. for this movie but like hey it's there yeah okay this coming from the guy who does the uh, the deeper and deeper dive into madness on blood rage every year trying to make something like <laughs> like you were trying to you were trying to make something philosophical out of blood rage this past year oh well i mean you kind of have to when you're you're married to a movie for the rest yeah. of your life and we we will continue to do so <laughs> yep. there you could always switch it up there is a thanksgiving movie called thanksgiving <laughs> Eli Roth supposedly is about to put out Thanksgiving, which was the like fake movie trailer he made for the Grindhouse double feature. Supposedly, he's actually developing that and is going to make it. So who knows? We might actually officially have a Thanksgiving slasher movie. And hey, all I'm saying is we're on the Blood Rage Wikipedia article, so we kind of have to. <laughs> Got to keep that one line at the end of that article. Yep, absolutely. But yeah, this is definitely like a fun movie to watch with a crowd if you happen to live somewhere and they are doing a retrospective screening of it. Definitely fucking go because I guarantee you it would be a raucous time. I will say if we ever had the opportunity where the three of us could get together and watch this together and maybe show it to like a couple other people. I would a thousand percent be in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this movie, like I said, is ridiculous with a crowd. So this would be a fun one to see with a group if you have the opportunity. All right, cool. Well, uh, I will go ahead and take us out 
uh, for this episode of Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast hosted by me, your movie monster boy, Aaron, and my craven co-host, Derek, in which we dissect the fears, phobias, and social relevancy of horror movies across all ages and some genres. Catch us going forward still on all podcatchers, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google. Um, we are still available everywhere free. Uh, we are ad-free. And to maintain that status where everybody has access to us and you don't have to listen to us, hawk fucking dick and ball razors, <laughs> mattresses, and fucking weird food supplements and shit, uh, we have started a Patreon finally. So if you at all feel like you want to support us and the work that we do, we would greatly appreciate it. It helps cover the costs of our hosting and our recording system that we use and any kind of equipment that we have to have. You know, it definitely helps us produce more content, which, you know, as a thank you, all of our patrons will be able to access bonus content going forward. Uh, and that will include things like interviews and listicles and franchise deep dives and even getting into fucking horror TV, which we know people have been asking for. Any future commentary tracks we'll probably now have on our Patreon instead of the main show. Yeah. And yeah, just to add on to what Aaron said with that, it's just $5, $5 a month. Yep. Cost of Five bucks a two month. cups of coffee, maybe even less, depending on where you get your coffee. Two bucks of shitty coffee. <laughs> yeah. And you get access to all our uh, Patreon exclusive bonus content. Yeah, if you want more information, just go to patreon.com forward slash watch if you dare. Again, patreon.com forward slash watch if you dare. And it's also linked at the top of our Twitter and our Facebook. You know, obviously, we're speaking to you from the past, past, past. But uh, big thanks to all of our patrons so far. I mean, we've only been live for a couple of days, and I'm already kind of stunned by how many supporters we have. So thank you all. Thank you all. Thank you all. You know who you are. We will be doing shout outs on the actual like patron bonus episodes. Big thanks to everybody who has supported us this far. It means a ton to us. Yeah. For music, shout out to your little brother, Jesse Mans, who gives us bumps at the beginning and ends of each episode. I wanted to come in about the music too, because with the Patreon now being pinned at the top of our Twitter, the link to our Spotify music playlist is no longer at the top of our Twitter. It's still pinned at the top of our Facebook page because you can pin more than one post. You can also get to it through our podbean.com website. The link to it is on there as well. And it is uh, our Spotify music playlist that has just spooky tunes on it, be it tracks from horror movies or tracks that are inspired by horror in general so give that a, a look if you want some spooky tunes it has like over 150 tracks i think or something at this and point don't forget yeah. spooky scary skeletons hell yeah oh five stars on apple spotify good pods yes. pod chaser please you, you know the <laughs> at this point so for these wonderful pod people here yes, for the pod, people. the pod people unfortunately i have some bad news while we were all fumbling with the ending, that lousy Sally was in there killing her. Sally! 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 Yes, well, this is New England, of course.